good to be back at Christ the King this morning and look forward to seeing someday in the near future your unmasked faces. Sorry, you have to see mine unmasked. I invite you please to take a Bible and turn to Psalm 67. The text of our sermon this morning is that text. You'll also find it, I see it on page 5 of your worship booklet this morning. Psalm 67, hear now the word of our God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Join me as we pray. At all times, O God, we need refreshment from your word. How often we need admonishment, even correction from your word. You, O God, the mighty one of the heavens who has made us in your image, who in our sin, as you have addressed us in that plight and distortion, have granted us your grace and redemption in your Son, Jesus Christ, And even this morning, you will use your word to conform us more into his image. So we pray as we begin this morning that your word will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. By your spirit, O God, illumine us, draw us, encourage us, rebuke us, and call us afresh with the eyes of faith to fix our eyes on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Arguably, some of the most neglectful and indifferent parents are the parents of rabbits and squirrels. Just think, how many times have you seen a squirrel or a rabbit look both ways before they cross the street. This parenting approach is certainly opposite of the helicopter or lawnmower approach that has sometimes been described. These are parents of squirrels and of rabbits that are free range. Let them go. I was driving down the road this week and saw a rabbit coming from the left side of my gaze and coming literally at the car in front of me. Much to my chagrin, that car clobbered that rabbit 
And as it hit that rabbit, that rabbit got flung in the air and rolled to a stop just immediately before me. But seconds before I hit that rabbit, it popped up again and began to take off right under my car. So I swerved, only to see the rabbit going back and forth and back and forth and run right under the car behind me. And just before the, le- the, sorry, the right front tire of that car hit that rabbit, he darted off to the side and made his way to freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but if I think about this last decade in our country, and indeed this last year, many of us feel just like that rabbit. We might, as we could put it this way, we are here today and gone tomorrow. Pardon the expression. But even you, you look left or right, and as you do look to your left and to your right, what do you see? You see chaos everywhere. You see excess, you see rhetoric, and you have every reason, as it were, to panic just like that rabbit. You're tired, you're scared, you're skeptical, perhaps you're even disillusioned. You have never seen a time in your lifetime that looked like this. And as you look at the political landscape, whether you are on one side of that landscape or the other, never have you seen that landscape so divided. And you don't see your opposition, as it were, as principled interlocutors, but you see them as categorical enemies. And then comes COVID. Some, maybe even in this room, are persuaded it's the worst disease in your lifetime. Others think it is a hoax, a weapon of political manipulation. You may be shocked how your government has handled it. You may be shocked and disappointed how your church has handled it. In your mind, Fauci is either brilliant or he is an absolute moron. Whatever the case, you find yourself longing for a release, for a solution, for a breath of fresh air to fix your world. A stop button for the chaos. I suppose we're tempted in different ways, aren't we? We're we're tempted towards fighting. Some of us are tempted towards hiding, seeking solace in our home, even finding ourselves somehow comforted that people can no longer see our distressed faces. The Israelites had every reason to panic Life as they knew it had never been like this. Their opponents were not principled interlocutors. They are categorically enemies. They too looked to the left and to the right, and everywhere around them they saw enemies. They also, as they had been reminded by the prophets through the generations, had been forced to look in the mirror, and they had found themselves stained by the world. And in the context of that distress, that chaos, those frantic experiences, we, like the Israelites, are tempted to fret, to stew, to fight, to react. 
Psalm 67 offers a very different pathway. Yes, it calls us to act differently, even to fight differently, to desire differently, to prioritize differently, to calibrate differently. But first and foremost, it calls us to pray differently. To have our eyes lifted above the myopic outlook that we have. To see what is God up to. Look again at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Here the psalmist calls us to pray boldly. Think about this prayer. It might even, on the surface, seem illegitimate, even irreverent. God be gracious to us, to lift his countenance upon us, to smile upon us. Who are we to ask such a thing of the almighty God of heaven? How dare we ask the God of heaven to bless us? After all, as the people of God well knew, they had been given the law of God. They had violated the law of God. Just, if you'll take just a moment, flip over to Psalm 78 for just a minute. I won't read all of its 72 verses, but just listen to a bit of the history of Israel as they, the recipients of, as it says in verse 5, the, the law in Israel, which he had commanded our fathers to teach their children. Look at verse 9. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt and the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand still like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness, gave them to drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet, they sinned still all the more against him. Rebelling against the Most High God in the desert, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? I won't read further. The remainder of this psalm goes on to describe the deeds of God and the rebellion of the people over and over and over again. How dare we as the people look to God and say, God, bless us, be gracious to us, make your face to shine upon us. That is a gutsy prayer. It is also a godly one. Many of you will remember, and perhaps reflecting on this opening verse of Psalm 67, know what we call the ironic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. Just listen to it with a view towards verse 1 of Psalm 67. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give 
you peace. As preposterous as it might sound, this is the way we are called to pray to the Almighty God against whom we have sinned. It is the right prayer. It is a refocusing prayer. It is a reverent prayer. It's a perfect prayer. Why? Because it is a prayer that God has given us to pray. Isaiah 55, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. That entire chapter of Isaiah 55 is in the context of the almighty, holy God granting us forgiveness. This prayer This bold prayer is one that we are called to pray. Have you asked this God recently for such pleasure and delight in you? Have you prayed this recently? Have you considered your own sin afresh and come to this God and say, God, be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face to shine upon us. The first thing that I want us to see in the midst of our chaos this morning is that Psalm 67 calls you and calls me to pray boldly according to the revealed word of God. Look at verse 2. As we pray this prayer, there's a particular focus of this prayer, that your way, verse 2, may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The psalmist discloses to us something here that is critical for us to grasp yet afresh this morning. God thinks differently than we do. He operates differently than we do, and he is almighty. His arm is strong to save. His hand is gentle to embrace us in his grace. Verse 2 says that your way may be known. In other words, without God showing us his way, speaking us his way, that way would be unknown. But God has spoken. He has called us to pray this way, to pray boldly, and to trust his strong arm fully. Do you know that saving power? You see, the ironic blessing is not some wish list. It is not the desperate pleading of one who is without hope. Instead, we lift our eyes to heaven and discover that our current plight is not the end of the story. There's been a lot of conversation in the news and in social media about the so-called cancel culture. Some of you in this room have been canceled by those that were once your digital friends. 
there's actually something quite right about the cancel culture. You know, God's word tells us that we are accountable for every word that comes forth from our mouths. The problem with the cancel culture is those that are canceling you do not have the authority or right to do so. By direct contrast, the God of heaven has every right and every might to cancel you. But instead, his strong arm is given forth for your salvation. The one that has every right, all authority, and power to cancel you forgives your sin. And the sin of all who look to him. Talk about a reason to rejoice. So we pray boldly, we trust fully, but note that verse 2 is not only about us. As we pray for God's blessing on us, that his smile would be upon us, that we would enjoy the peace that he promises, verse 2 leads us to a place of understanding that this is not only for us, but that as we pray... We are to do so with a global vision. If I could put it this way, here in Psalm 67, the ironic blessing is coupled with the Abrahamic promise. Genesis chapter 12, we see that God promises that through the seed of Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. As you are called here to trust fully in this God, you discover in the generosity of God's grace to you, in that giving of himself to you, there is a calling for you to give as you have been given. This personal trust rightly understood, rightly embraced, will be a trust that gives you a global vision. If the ironic blessing is to be our prayer, the Abrahamic vision is to be our desire. Pierce Hibbs has recently written a book entitled The Book of giving. And in it he describes, I really strongly encourage you to read it. It just was published a couple of months ago. In this book he describes the, the self-giving nature of the triune God. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That their engagement with one another in triune solidarity is all about self-giving. And that when God saves us, He draws us, as it were, into the circle of that giving. The generosity of God's self-giving is your portion. If you have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you have been given God himself. And verse 2 calls us in that trust to recognize that that gift is to be given. 
to pray rightly in this moment of chaos in our culture, in our particular situation, is to lift our eyes and to see that the God who saves us calls us to fix our eyes on his self-giving. See, this prayer of grace to us is not a prayer for us alone. We think about Reformation history. We know the great solas of the Reformation. One of them is by grace alone. Yes, it is grace alone, but it is not to be given to us alone. God's purpose on the stage of history is not to give us his grace and have us enter into a cul-de-sac but it brings us onto the highway of his divine purpose on the stage of history where we are on the move in step with the God who has given himself to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all the nations. Pray boldly and trust fully. Well, this notion that was introduced in verse 2 takes a full relief for us in verses 3 through 5. The center of this entire psalm is verse 4. And you'll see verse 3 and verse 5 surround it and elevate it. The repetition here is for us to understand the divine priority of the salvation of the nations. Listen to verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Here, the psalmist lays out before us a stunning vision. Nations from the four corners of the earth gathered to worship the God who is almighty and ready to save. The structure of this psalm leads us to this great crescendo where in our prayer for the blessing of God to come upon us, for the smile of God to be upon us, that through that smile, that smile would be delivered to the nations. What is introduced to us in verse 2 and verses 3 through 5 we discover that there is a particular goal, an end in view here that must not be missed. Listen to the way in which I emphasize the language in verses 3 through 5 as I read it again. Let the nations, sorry, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Did you know that your salvation is not only for you? 
In fact, it's not even ultimately for you. Your salvation is also not only for the nations. Your salvation is for the glory of God alone. There's an astounding additional assertion here that I don't want us to miss. Look at verse 4 again. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. Now, pause with me for just a moment. The psalmist opens with the ironic blessing, asking that God would bless us, would show favor to us, show kindness to us, lift his countenance up upon us. But here, the psalmist at the pinnacle of this psalm describes joy in justice. If it seemed irreverent or inappropriate to ask for grace, it seems downright suicidal to ask God for justice. Oh, surely we want justice for those who have wronged us. But the God of heaven misses nothing. How would we dare to ask him to exercise justice? Oh, we want grace. We want others to have justice. One of the most glorious Truths woven through the pages of the holy writ of Scripture, old and new, is that the God who is judge is also the God who is merciful. Think about the complexities of your heart alone and now multiply that exponentially upon the hearts and lives of all the people who have ever lived and their interreactions, interrelations, Who can possibly navigate the sinful heart? The prophet Jeremiah asks how we could possibly even know our own. One of the great hopes of Scripture is that the God who has made all things and sovereignly acts on our behalf on the stage of history is a God who is truly just. One of the great truths of Scripture is that this God is the God who wipes every tear from your eye. And he does so justly. Paul in Romans 3 reckons with the escalation of human sin and the righteousness of God. How does God remain just and forgive sin at the same time? Answer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one mediator between God and man. Your justice is met in Jesus Christ. In him, justice and peace kiss each other. For this reason, the psalmist can celebrate the righteousness, the justice of God executed not only in your heart, but for the nations unto his glory. But again, I remind you, 
as we pray boldly, as we trust fully. We are called here to desire virtuously, to desire what God desires, to have our hearts, our minds, our thinking, our priorities, everything about our lives fully calibrated, determined, and shaped by what God says is important. And you have it right here in this psalm. The very purpose for human history is the redemption of the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God's grace to you is to be a grace that is testified by you, on display to the nations. God's justice for you in Jesus Christ is to be on display to the nations that all might praise him. The question I ask you this morning For what does your heart burn? What do you desire? If your Facebook page, your Instagram account, your Twitter feed, your email will all put on display on a screen behind me, what would it reveal about what you believe in and what you value most? The psalmist here calls us to have a vision for the mission that God is about on the stage of human history. This goal for the praising of this God by all the nations is God's purpose on the stage of history. And as a member of God's family, his purpose must be ours. But what do you love? Do you long for comfort, for political stability, economic certainty and prosperity? Do you long for rest? Do you long for retirement? Or perhaps you're an adrenaline junkie or a movie buff that simply seeks to drown out the chaos of the world around you by self-serving attempts at navigating this world. This psalm calls you to pray boldly, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Are you restless for the focus of this psalm that the peoples praise you, O God? That the nations are glad and sing for joy in your righteous judgments. Are you restless for the purpose of God on history? Verse 6 makes a very important shift. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Verse 7, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Isn't it interesting that the psalm crescendos 
with a view towards us being restless for the purpose of God on earth, and then it immediately moves to the place in which we rest. No longer is it a prayer, oh God, bless us. There is an assertion here, a confident, bold assertion, God will bless us, just as certain as are the crops that grow and the harvest that comes from them to feed us, so too will we be fed in Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. So if we're called here to pray boldly and to trust fully, to desire virtuously, the psalmist ends with a call to rest securely. To rest securely in the promises and purpose of God. God will bless you. You and I live at a time on the stage of human history that actually far exceeds that of the psalmist. We live at a time in which the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The smile of God has come upon his people in the all-satisfying work of his son, Jesus Christ, who is our blessing. He is the one who is the blessed son in whom the Father is well pleased. They were awaiting the accomplishment of that salvation that you and I are already living in an age in which that salvation has come. But yet like them, we're called to wait. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ now as we await his return. And what God calls us to do by his word this morning is to join in the celebration of the accomplishment of that redemption and the hope that on that final day when Jesus comes back and gathers his people around him from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we will then see how we were not only the recipients of grace, but the instruments of it in keeping with the purpose of God. Would you join me in praying boldly, trusting fully, desiring virtuously, and resting securely. Would the zeal of the Lord be our portion? Oh, when we are in a world in which we are taught to hate others, in which we're taught to have disdain for those who don't know God in Christ, in which we're taught to think in opposition to other nations, other countries, and even those of other religions. The Muslim people don't need your fear. They need to fear the God of whom we speak this morning. And what if your current difficulties were actually the tool that God uses to redeem the nation? What if your discomfort, your ostracizing, the cancellation that you have experienced in your network of people is part of the tool that God purposefully uses to bring people to himself? 
And what if our passion for comfort, our zeal for comfort was replaced by this zeal for the nations? One of the founding leaders of the Presbyterian Church in America is a man by the name of Frank Barker who planted many years ago the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you go to Birmingham today and you have any encounter with Christians in that community, an incredible number of them have come to faith through the ministry of Frank Barker no matter where they attend church. At one point, Frank Barker was asked by a friend to help him name his new boat. Barker purportedly responded, you should call the boat, quote, one less missionary sent. Frank had a heart that was calibrated according to the priorities of God for the saving of the nations, for the nations to be glad and sing for joy in the justice of God that is met in Christ Jesus, the grace of God that is poured upon us in Christ Jesus. Would you join me and praying boldly, oh God, bless us. Be gracious to us. Make your face shine upon us so that your saving way may be known on earth. The Puritan Charles Plumer put it this way, without God's blessing, we are nothing. Without his love, we die. Without a sense of it, we wither. My brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the reasons we wither is that we so often treat the gospel of Jesus Christ, the smiling face of God, to shine on us and of story. The face of God, the lifting of the, account, the countenance of God upon you in pleasure is a gift that is given to you by the self-giving God who calls you to give that which you have been given. Your salvation is not for you. Your salvation is not only for others. It is for the glory of God. Pray boldly, trust fully, desire virtuously, and rest securely. And as we look to God's smile, his grace, his justice, and his perfect provision, we can look to him with absolute assurance, knowing that our God will bless us. For in Christ, he can do none other. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, we thank you for your call to have our eyes fixed on you, which will then in turn have our eyes fixed on your purpose for the world, the saving of the nations. We thank you that your plans cannot go unfulfilled. Oh, God, I gather with my brothers and sisters here this morning and confess how often I have treated your kindness to me selfishly. I've seen myself as a reservoir rather than a channel. Oh God, may the living water of Jesus Christ that is poured out on us also be poured out from us. And oh God, would your will be fulfilled in and through this church Christ the King in Conchahawken. May we lift our eyes above the fray and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. To the glory of God the Father by the Spirit we pray. Amen.